Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By Vortex Optics. With the VIP warranty, their unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. Learn more at vortexoptics.com. And Beautio Books, an independent, family owned bookstore carrying one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. Beautiobooks.com. Good morning. Welcome to our show number 859. Last week we reported on the rediscovery of a rare bird in the forests of Ghana in West Africa, Shelley's Eagle Owl. And this week we have some good news about an owl here in North America, the northern spotted owl. The White House has struck down a previous administration plan that would have removed critical habitat for the owl and opened up the old growth forests where it lives to logging. They're in Washington, Oregon, Northern California. This bird has been in decline for decades and has lost about 70% of its habitat. So under the new plan, more than 3 million acres will be restored and protected. About 200,000 acres uh, will still be available for development, but on balance, it sounds pretty good. Thanks to Super Talking Birds contributor Jeff Collins for first alerting us to this story. Meanwhile, not very far north of that spotted owl territory, Alaska Airlines is doing something good for the planet. They're eliminating the use of plastic water bottles on all of their commercial flights. The founder of Zero Waste DC, Stephanie Miller, weighed in on the decision, saying if other airlines follow suit, this could be an important new industry standard and signals to customers that airlines understand their large environmental impact, not just due to fuel use, but also plastic waste. Well, Stephanie Miller is the author of a wonderful new book called Zero Waste Living, and she'll be a guest here on Talking Birds early in the new year. I know that if she were here right now, she'd join us in honoring a couple of Talking Birds listeners who are tuned in to the problem of plastic waste. There are newest Talking Birds proud plurters pledging to pick up litter while birding. That's what plurting is, and our newest proud plurters are Kimberly Mutu from Pacifica, California. She does some of her plurting on the grounds of the Filoli Historic House and Garden on the eastern slope of the Santa Cruz Mountains where she is the birding docent and where she also always carries a bag to pick up things that get left behind. Entry stickers, soda bottles, plastic bags. She says, I don't want the birds to think it's food and pick it up. Thank you so much, Kimberly. And our other new proud plurter is Joy Schmall from Highland Park, Illinois, part of the Chicago metro area. Joy is not only a proud plurter, she, as a volunteer, designed our really cool iron-on proud plurter badges that we're sending out to all of our proud plurters. Thank you, Joy. Complete info about plurting is available at this address, talkingbirds.com slash plurting. Please check it out. That's talkingbirds.com slash plurting. Our Freya McGregor is a dedicated plurter and an adventurous birder, and we're catching up with her this morning through this audio postcard that she has sent to us. Good morning, everyone. It's Freya McGregor here. 
I'm at Fort McAllister State Historic Park, just near Savannah in Georgia. And that really odd noise was a clapper rail. I'm uh, really close to a big salt marsh and we've been hearing clapper rails making their really funny squeaky sort of calls all morning. Uh, I think they get their name clapper rail because they sort of clatter or clap their beaks together hiding out in salt marshes. Uh, You almost never see them but they make such an odd noise. I just wanted to share that with you. Bye, bye, Freya. Thanks <laughs> for checking in with us from, from Georgia this morning. Now a completely different bird here. It's our mystery bird, and this is a preview of the mystery bird contest happening a bit later on in the show. Here are some clues, though, to get you ready for identifying that bird. It's a medium-sized, stocky songbird with a heavy pointed bill a rusty shoulder patch, and in the breeding male, a black V on the upper part of its yellowish chest. The breeding areas of our bird, which feeds on seeds and grass and insects, are mostly through the central U.S. from North Dakota all the way down through southern Texas with wintering grounds in southern Mexico and down into Central America. A couple of clues there in the sound of our mystery bird and beautiful prizes await for the winner of our contest this morning, including the Droll Yankees' original, iconic, A6F classic tube feeder. It features durable metal parts that squirrels can't chew. That's just not a claim. Droll Yankees backs that up with a lifetime warranty against squirrel damage. Meanwhile, our friends from Feather Friendly have the window protection kit to prevent birds from crashing into your windows. It really works, and it's endorsed by numerous bird conservation groups. It's a wonderful thing from some great folks up there in Toronto. The the feather-friendly window protection kit. Prizes on our mystery bird contest, and if we have time for a bonus question, we'll also give away a beautiful $20 certificate from Wisdom Supply Company. They're offering all that wonderful plastic-free stuff for schools and offices. So, all coming up on our Mystery Bird Contest. And a royal salute here to our newest Talking Birds ambassadors that we're saluting, including Scott G. from Rumford, Maine. Thank you, Scott. And Marjorie Etheridge from a long way from Rumford, Maine in Portland, Oregon. Thank you so much, Marjorie. We'd like to invite all Talking Birds listeners to join our ambassador's family. Help us get the word out about our show and about what we're trying to do, which is get the word out about birds and conservation. Easy to sign up and to do. Just go to the Get Involved tab at TalkingBirds.com. That's the Get Involved tab at TalkingBirds.com. Still to come on our show today, we'll get some tips from optics expert Adrian Lisak about choosing the right binocular or spotting scope. We'll catch up with Mike O'Connor in an almost live from the archive Let's Ask Mike segment about how to tell the difference between a house finch and a purple finch. And up next, a familiar bird whose beauty truly is underappreciated is today's featured feathered friend. Presented by Birdwatching Magazine for more than a quarter century, 
Birdwatching has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. Well, it's easy to find professional sports teams named after birds. From the Blue Jays to the Cardinals, from the Falcons to the Eagles, from the Penguins to the Thrashers. But to find a team named for today's featured feathered friend, we had to settle for a college-level squad from the Northwoods League, the Madison Mallards. The first thing most birders say when they see this species is, it's only a, as in, it's only a mallard. As with other common beauties like the American robin and the blue jay, this bird's success may have led us to underappreciate its considerable pulchritude. Imagine the reaction we might have if we were to see this spectacular iridescent green, chestnut, gray, and tan male of this species for the first time. The plain brown female mallard is often confused with the similar, though darker, American black duck. And probably the easiest way to separate them is by the bill. The mallard's is orange with a dark center, while the black duck's is a dark olive color. The wild mallard, which is the ancestor of most domesticated ducks, summers as far north as northern Alaska. And many individuals spend the winter in the southern U.S. and even south of the border, where a population that used to be considered a separate species can be found, the Mexican mallard, which lacks the beautiful colors of its male northern cousin. By the way, if you see a flock of mallards, you can impress your friends by saying that you've observed a sword of mallards. That's right, a group of mallards is collectively known as a sword, S-O-R-D. It apparently derives from a Latin word meaning to rise. You might avoid telling your friends that last part, lest they begin wandering away from you, muttering bird nerd under their breath. <coughs> Anas platyrinkos, the mallard, today's talking birds featured feathered friend. Yeah, the mallard we learned not long ago that it's only the female that does that uh, quacking sound. Well, this is maybe some some poor timing. Where we here we are offering less than full respect for a team from Madison, Wisconsin, and. Uh, we're about to present a guest from Madison, Wisconsin, but we'll we'll get through that. If you've been thinking about buying a binocular or a spotting scope as a gift this holiday season for someone on your list or for yourself because you've been so good, we thought we'd get some expert advice on the topic. And we've secured a connection with Adrian Lisak from Vortex Optics to provide that advice if he hasn't hung up on us here. He joins us right now from Madison, Wisconsin. Good morning, Adrian. Good morning, Ray. Happy to be with you. Great to have you have you with us. Um, Adrian, we often hear that when you're buying a binocular, a general rule is to buy the best you can afford so you won't have to buy another in, in a few years. Is, is that a good rule or is that too simple an idea to apply broadly? Ray, that, that, that rule still holds. Mm. It's, a, it's a good rule to live by. Um, you know, you get the best glass that your budget can um, can handle, and and there are there are things in binoculars that you can get a better build quality, a better um, fit and feel, and things like that. But what you're really paying for is that experience through the glass itself, what you're seeing um, through the binocular, 
And a lot of that is, has to do with the glass and the coatings in the binocular. So the formulation, the density, the tolerances that those glass pieces are put together with mm -hmm. is what you're really paying for. And, and you're going to experience, you know, a better um, view through those binoculars with the best glass and best coatings that you can afford. So it, it still does hold true mm -hmm. that, uh, that um, get the best binocular for your budget. Yeah, although I've seen these late night TV ads and they have these binoculars there that, you know, they're only about $50 and you can see a couple of hundred miles with them. So. <laughs> yeah, certainly. There are, there are uh, some large zoom binoculars out there and, 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 and funny ads in the backs of magazines that you can still get, um, you know, 20 by 100 binoculars and you need to tripod mount them and things like that to have a good view. But really, you want to um, budget at least, you know, a couple hundred dollars for your, your birding binocular that you're going to use every day, I would say, um, and go up from there. If you can, uh, you will you'll have a better hour every hour out there and with the birds will be better if you spend as much as you can mm -hmm. on your your birding binocular okay well speaking of power a lot of people say that eight by 42 is the best combination for birding others say 10 power is better how, how do we sort that out and what do you what do you say that's a good question right um a lot of folks uh use 10 and 8 power binoculars uh for birding and and they both have their advantages in certain ways um, with an eight power binocular, you're magnifying things eight times um, compared to the naked eye and 10 times the 10 by uh, binocular. There are a few things to think about. Um, if you change that, that magnification factor, if you keep the objective lens size the same, say 842 to 1042, you do um, get closer with that 1042 by a little bit, but you do sacrifice a few things. Um, the first is field of view. Usually that goes down with a 10 power binocular, so it's a little harder to find and follow things. Um, keep that in mind. Uh, 10 power binoculars aren't as bright. If the objective lens size, the, the front lens is the same size, the eight will always be brighter in mornings, mm -hmm. evenings, things like that, times like that. And um, also it's harder to hold steady for a lot of people. But if you're used to a 10 power binocular, stay with it if you can. Um, don't necessarily think, on the other hand, that going up in power is going to help you if your eyes are deteriorating as we age. Uh, a lot of people say, I need more power to, mm. to see things better. Actually, you usually need better glass mm. rather than um, a more power in a lot of cases. So um, keep that in mind. Um, there's a few trade-offs when you go up in power. So uh, 8x42, 10x42 are great, but uh, a, a good all-around um, binocular would be an 8, I'd say. All right. Well, you're talking about all those those great qualities of, of good glasses. Well, let's say you bought a binocular 10 or, I don't know, 15 years ago. How much better are they now compared to then with the, with the new coatings and other advances? Well, um, I've been using binoculars for about uh, 30, 40 years or so now. And um, um, I'd say that they've improved quite a bit. The, the, the saying that comes to mind is a rising tide lifts all boats and then that's really uh -huh. the case with binoculars these days um the the entry level and the mid mid-range binoculars have gotten really good in the last decade or two um so much better than um in in the past there's more waterproofing um fog proofing internally but not just that the, the view through a 200 300 binocular um really feels like a six or seven hundred dollar binocular from the 80s or 90s mm -hmm. these days and while the the pinnacle the the highest end binoculars out there are are getting better and better and better they're squeezing less and less performance out of those um and 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 working on things like field of view and ergonomics and stuff and such but you can get a really great binocular these days in in the mid price range i'd say so 
it's uh, it's really been a good improvement over the years. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people wear glasses when they're birding. What about that? Eight power better for glasses wearers? Yes, um, oftentimes a power or lower power binoculars have a bit more eye relief for folks that wear glasses. But you know, most manufacturers, including Vortex, we try to make binoculars with enough eye relief. It's called um, for folks that wear glasses for you know the vast majority of people. Um, so you're usually going to have a, a, a decent time with either ten or eight power binoculars. But really, the key is to try it out if you can. Get to your local retailer, birding shop, Audubon Nature Store, something like that. Get it in your hand, put it, uh, you know, put it to your face with your glasses or glasses on or glasses off, and, and give it a try. That's really the best way to, to uh, figure it out for yourself. All right, let's just quickly get on to spotting scopes uh, for a bit here. And I think a big question is, you know, whether it's um, worth considering buying a high-quality binocular and not get a scope rather than getting a kind of a modest binocular and a spotting scope if, you know, if budget is an issue. Yeah, that's... That's a good question, and it comes up a lot when I, I visit birding festivals around the country. People are wondering if they should get into a spotting scope, and I and I almost always tell them, you know, make sure that the instrument that you use 90% of the time, your daily binocular, is the best one that you can have around your neck um, before you even think about a spotting scope, because a spotting scope is something you use a little bit less in most cases. Um, you know, you're out there over a mud flat, over the lake, looking over the ocean, but you know the, the the binocular around your neck is the one you use a lot, and spotting scopes have really high magnification um, compared to a binocular, so it really tests the optics. So you want to take your time and budget um, for a spotting scope that has really good glass, really good optics, so you can get that better view when you're at those high magnifications. So um, certainly upgrade your binoculars and then budget well for a good spotting scope. All right, and uh, speaking of spotting scopes, assume if you do get one. Angled eyepiece or straight eyepiece? What do you say about that? Well, uh, straight eyepieces are intuitively easier to aim for most people when they first try a spotting scope out, but there are a few advantages to angled spotting scopes, and and these are the reasons that uh, we sell, you know, three times more angled scopes than straight scopes. And one is mm-hmm. it's easier to share. So if you're in a group, sometimes only one of you has a spotting scope and you get on a target and you can easily you know step aside and everybody can bend down and look through that scope without moving the center column on your tripod up and down and losing that subject um the next thing is with an angled scope it's angled upwards so you can keep it lower on your tripod closer to the shoulders of that tripod it's the most stable position rather than extending that center column and introducing a lot more shake and instability so it's more stable the other thing is birders often look up with their spotting scopes um, into trees and things like that. It's easier to look up with an angled spotting scope than it is uh, getting underneath mm-hmm. a straight spotting scope. Sure. So. All right, some great tips there for someone special on your gift list, even if it's you. Thanks to Adrian Lisak from Vortex Optics and VortexOptics.com. And Adrian, by the way, just, just really an aside, we were talking about the northern spotted owl earlier, and you have some expertise in that area. Maybe we can invite you back to talk about that topic. <laughs> I'd be happy to, Ray. All right. Adrian Lisak from Vortex Optics. Thank you, Adrian, and happy holidays. Happy holidays. Coming up next, it's our mystery bird contest in just one minute. The flutter of a tail feather. The flash of a wing bar in mid-flight. You don't always have a lot of time to identify a bird in nature. 
let alone to appreciate its beauty. But with Vortex Optics, you'll have the power to bring every wild moment closer. When you choose Vortex, you're choosing to have a partner in the field as passionate about nature as you are. Whether you're spotting old friends on the backyard feeder or packing for a once-in-a-lifetime trip to add a few species to your life list, Vortex offers a full range of optics and optics accessories for every birder and every budget. And whether the birds are taking you to another state or another country, you're always covered by the Vortex VIP warranty, an unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. If you'd like to learn more or if you need help choosing your next optic, Give Vortex a call at 1-800-4-VORTEX or visit vortexoptics.com. Our, our mystery bird should be louder than that. Let's There it is, much louder. That's so much better. Give it a little try here. Our mystery bird, a medium-sized, stocky songbird with a heavy pointed bill and a rusty shoulder patch. And in the breeding male, a black V on the upper part of its yellowish chest. This bird breeds through most of the central U.S., all the way from North Dakota down through southern Texas, and wintering down in southern Mexico and down into Central America. That is our mystery bird. Um, what's the identity? Give us a call and tell us. 781-837-4900. That's 781-837-4900. Beautiful prizes from Droll Yankees and our friends at Feather Friendly Await. And as always... You could get the wrong answer and still win. A drawing will determine our winner from all answers received. So that's how that goes. It's 781-837-4900. Mystery bird contest. Uh, meanwhile, it's Let's Ask Mike. Almost live from the archive in just one minute. beauty Books carries one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. New, used, and rare books covering everything from backyard birding to general ornithology. From field guides to photography skills, biography, fiction, and humor. You'll find it all along with the knowledgeable customer service you've been looking for in one convenient place. Beautyobooks.com B-U-T-E-O Beautyobooks.com My name is Chris Rohr and I'm from Tucson, Arizona. Being a Talking Birds ambassador has allowed me to pass on lots of information to other people who aren't necessarily birders but are interested in birds. You should become a Talking Birds ambassador because it helps everyone to understand our world of birds. Talking Birds listeners, we hope you'll join our ambassadors family. Just visit our website, TalkingBirds.com. Join today and thanks. Down to beautiful Cape Cod, Mike O'Connor is standing by there with some information for us to help clear up things that are kind of confusing sometimes. And that would be telling the difference between a purple finch and a house finch. Good morning, Mike. All right. Good morning. Just finished my Burns and Bean coffee right now, as a matter of oh, fact. Oh, how was it? It was awesome. Yeah. But did you yeah. say something earlier in the show about a chocolate chickadee? Is that a new sponsor? Because that sounds delicious also. That, yeah. Isn't there a... I think there's a place on the Cape called the Chocolate Chickadee. Isn't there like a coffee? <laughs> the chocolate Sparrow. Chocolate Sparrow, right. Yeah. Yeah. The Boreal Chickadee, you said, was the Chocolate Chickadee. Yeah, the Boreal... Oh, my God, that's right. Now it's coming back. <laughs> the Boreal Chickadee. That's pretty easy to separate from oh. other chickadees, but purple finches and house finches are kind of uh, difficult. Well, they're a little bit tricky, right? Yeah. We got a couple of backyard birds that give us, you know, give us all fits. 
the Donnie and the Harry Woodpecker, which looked very similar, yeah. and then the, the Coopers and the Sharps and Hawk, which kind of plagued the Donnie and the Harry Woodpecker, but those are kind of similar. And now it's a purple in the house finch. And years and years ago, you and I were growing up, there really weren't any house finches around here. So every time we saw a red finch, it, be, it was a purple finch, and even the guidebooks went in that direction. But then the house finches expanded their range, and now they're far more abundant than the purple finch. But you know, some old timers still call them purple finches, and mm. now it's more house finches. So it's kind of switched around. And and this year, because of the birds coming down from the north, more people are getting purple finches, but they're struggling to figure out which is which. So yeah, that's what we'll chat about today. Um, the female's a little bit easy. The female house finch, the more common one, at least most of the country, is is just a brown streaky bird, kind of like a sparrow. Nothing. Ex- special going on just brown and streaky the female purple finch a little bit larger but she has two marks on each side of her eye one above one below it looked like she was disco dancing last night and she did that (laughs) swipe with her fingers they're not bright white stripes you know like a racing stripe but they are considerably lighter and, and considerably obvious so that's those that's the easy one to tell so if you see an all brown bird all brown finch it's a house finch purple finch has those lines the males will can be a little bit trickier especially with the house finches their amount of red or purple is highly variable and it changes except peterson always talks about the purple finch as being a, a sparrow dipped in raspberry juice that's his classic line and you, i have to go with that it looks like the bird was dipped in there but wasn't allowed to stay in there long enough because we <laughs> when you pull him out he's he's got the purple finch has purple everywhere mm-hmm. but there's a lot of brown mixed in with the house finch there's not a lot of brown mixed in there's red patches around the face or on the chest on the tail but the back is basically all brown not, there's no mixing in and then finally at the belly the belly of a purple finch is white with a little couple of pink dots here and there but the belly of a house finch the more common one his belly is white with brown stripes and if you could see what i'm doing on the over the phone over the radio i'm making those stripe marks on my belly so look for those brown stripes on the belly of a house finch all right next week we'll play the sounds of the purple and house finch so yeah i always have a week delay between the exactly (laughs) and the discussion all right thank you mike Okay, see you later, bye. Every Wednesday, Birdwatching Magazine sends an e-newsletter full of information of interest to birdwatchers, including recent news stories about birds, conservation, and science, photography tips, stories about places to go birding, bird ID tips, and much more. Best of all, the newsletter is free. Sign up today at birdwatchingdaily.com slash newsletter. Hey, we'll do the Mystery Bird Contest in just a moment. But first, I want to tell you about a great holiday special from our friends at Birds and Beans. For $120, you'll get 12 12-ounce bags of Birds and Beans coffee, ground and ready to brew, or whole bean if you prefer. That's a savings of more than 25% on triple-certified, shade-grown, Smithsonian bird-friendly, USDA organic, fair-trade, great-tasting Birds and Beans coffee. Order the 12 by 12 holiday special today at birdsandbeans.com. That's birdsandbeans.com. That's our mystery bird, and we are so excited. We have callers on the line from California, New Mexico, and Virginia. And I believe our New Mexico caller was first, and that is Kelly. Good morning, Kelly. 
Good morning, Ray. Good morning. Great to hear from you. Where, if you'd care to say, in New Mexico? I'm in Albuquerque. Uh, oh, what a beautiful town that is. I've just been Thank there you. once. Yes, it is. That is a beautiful right. place there. Well, Kelly, what do you think on our mystery bird? You heard the clues and such. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna put in a shout out for a dick thistle. <laughs> a shout out too, and that's a guest and a shout out in combination. <laughs> and absolutely correct, dick thistle. Yeah, I wondered if we'd get some some guesses for um, eastern or western meadowlark with that V clue there. Well, that that was the first thought, but then mm -hmm. some of the other clues didn't quite match the meadowlark. Yeah. So I've never seen a dick thistle. I've chased after one, but never <laughs> seen one. So. Well, good luck finding one, but you've had good luck this morning and good skill in identifying that bird. So thank you, Kelly. Great. Thank you, Ray. And if you'll stay on the line, Jesse will arrange things for those beautiful prizes. Well, coming up uh, in our next show, because we're out of time pretty much for this one, the great Richard Crossley will be with us. Richard Crossley, the renowned field guide author who's created kind of a whole new idea of how to design a field guide with uh, lots of success. And he's a man dedicated to the cause of connecting people with nature. He'll be our special guest. Meanwhile, we are plumb out of time for this morning. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By Vortex Optics. With the VIP warranty, their unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. Learn more at vortexoptics.com. By Birds and Beans Shade Grown Bird Friendly Coffee. Birdsandbeans.com. And Beautyo Books, an independent, family owned bookstore carrying one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. Beautyobooks.com.